The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 14 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're going to be checking out Avengers number 12, This Hostage Earth. This week's issue is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Dick Ayers, and letters by Sam Rosen, coming to us in January of 1965. So jumping right in here, this is a just wonderful, beautiful cover here. I really, really like it. The Avengers are just front and center. We've got action going on. Mole Man and, and the Moloids are peeking their head out from the side. It's a really nice cover. So our issue opens with Giant Man and Wasp doing some work in Giant Man's lab, and they get a cybernetic alarm from Ants, because obviously Giant Man is also Ant-Man. And I like this because you know, a lot of the time, especially recently, we've really been focused more on Hank Pym as Giant Man. And I don't think Giant Man is anywhere near as interesting as Ant-Man. There's a lot of really cool things you can do with Ant-Man. So I appreciate the fact that we're getting some service to the Ant gimmick and going back a little bit, I mean, to his roots, but we're at least reminded of where he came from. So Giant Man takes a minute and attempts to understand what the ants are trying to tell him. Unfortunately, the ants are just completely panicked because their hill is being destroyed by some unknown force, and so they're not very clear in their message. Giant Man takes this as a sign and goes ahead and puts out a call for the Avengers. Now, Wasp is sitting here going, uh, do you really want to do this just based on what the ants are saying? And especially early in this issue, Wasp is really on point. She is just really sensing exactly what's coming. So once the call is out, we get three panels of the Avengers responding to the call, and each panel is more ridiculous than the last. The first one of Thor looks pretty good. Next one, we get Iron Man on roller skates. And then the third one, Cap is just doing some very weird body posing as he's jumping over various rooftops. None of them look bad. Uh, Cap's body position's a little bad, but none of them are, are, are bad. They're just somewhat ridiculous. Now, speaking of ridiculous, once the Avengers are assembled, Giant Man explains his justification for calling the emergency meeting, and Thor is not amused. The Avengers were really assembled to fight massive threats, you know, threats that no single hero could take on on their own. And at least to the other Avengers, it seems like Giant Man has called them together for no good reason. Giant Man attempts to point out, hey, you know, what about Mole Man? You know, the ants are underground, Mole Man's underground. I'm sure that's what it is. And Thor points out, well, no, Mole Man was destroyed. We get references to two issues of Fantastic Four. So the first issue is Fantastic Four number 22, which is the return of Mole Man, which in and of itself is not particularly a enthralling issue. It's fun, but the story in and of itself is not all that important. We're actually going to reference three Fantastic Four issues, and all three of them are important for reasons not necessarily related to their story. Not completely. Fantastic Four number 22 happens to be the first time we see some of Sue Storm's additional powers, like the ability to turn other things invisible and the ability to create force fields. But basically, Mole Man shows up and the Fantastic Four are able to defeat him, 
And then moving forward in Fantastic Four number 31, again, Mole Man shows up. This time he starts stealing blocks out of Manhattan and kidnaps Sue Storm in order to force the Fantastic Four to surrender. And Johnny Storm manages to destroy uh, Mole Man's equipment, which then causes a chain reaction. And Mole Man is presumed to have been killed. Uh, And this issue is somewhat important because it is the introduction of Johnny and Sue's father, who was assumed to have been dead up to this point. Johnny Johnny was told he was dead. Uh, He is instead a fugitive from the law. So having this knowledge, especially because the Avengers actually made an appearance in Fantastic Four 31, the Avengers really dismiss Giant Man's idea that it's Mole Man because, as far as they know, Mole Man is dead. Obviously, if you look at the bottom of this page, Mole Man's not dead. But based on the given evidence, it's more than a little bit of a logical jump for Giant Man to assume it's Mole Man and for the Avengers to try and believe him. And at this point, Giant Man gets pretty defensive. And then Thor basically says, screw you, I'm out. This is stupid. And Thor leaves. And the rest of the Avengers follow suit. Now, like I mentioned, if you just look at the bottom of the page, Giant Man is correct. It is, in fact, Mole Man. And he has rebuilt his empire because everyone thinks he's dead, so nobody's been getting in his way. And, of course, he also has his army of slave creatures, the Moloids. And I gotta say, he in just a couple of months, especially given that everything was destroyed, Mole Man builds a pretty impressive secret fortress, laboratory, whatever. It's this just massive underground complex that, one, I really like the look of it. I realize Don Heck is doing the art here, but it's got a very Jack Kirby look to it. You know, very much the Marvel House style of the time, but it's a really cool looking base. Of course, since he's alone, or at least only surrounded by his Moloids, Mole Man gives us a little speech as to what his evil plan is, and that he is slowly increasing the speed at which the Earth turns, and that eventually he's going to stop it and destroy everything on the surface. There are a lot of little issues with this plan. I mean, first off, pretty quickly we're going to start figuring out that the Earth is spinning faster, because, well, for one, our 24-hour clock... You know, a day is one rotation of the Earth. So it means days are going to start getting shorter. We're going to notice that. I don't think there's a problem so much with his plan to speed up the Earth, and that's going to cause destruction, because I think it will cause destruction. Stopping the Earth's rotation, though, it's going to have problematic consequences. I don't really think it's going to destroy everything on the surface like he thinks it will. I mean... You know, it's a Silver Age comic book villain plan, so it's, you know, a lot of pseudoscience and made-up stuff by Stan Lee. So, I'm not, like, super, uh, concerned about the plot, but there are certainly some gaping holes here. So now that we've been informed of Mole Man's master plan, we go ahead and we cut back to Giant Man and Wasp, who are in the middle of a little bit of a spat. Uh, Giant Man is preparing to go check out what is going on with the ants, and he demands that Wasp come with him, and she says, no, I've got other things to do. Specifically, she says she has a hairdresser appointment, but fundamentally, I go with the idea, Wasp is her own person, she has other things she wants to do, and Giant Man attempts to stop her from doing so. Now, again, we've talked about it, this is certainly not immediately spousal abuse, or, you know, domestic abuse, but it is the foundations of and the beginnings of that. He wants to control what she's doing, he tries to physically stop her from going out. He doesn't hit her, he doesn't do things like that, but we're going in that direction. And then, again, I don't think that's something that Stanley planned, but again, the people who did take it there are just playing with existing characterization and taking it the next logical step. 
So at this point, Giant Man is in his Ant-Man form, and he's just completely fed up and goes and checks out the anthill himself. He says, you know, screw everyone else. I'm just, I'm going to do what I need to do. And goes down into the anthill and pretty quickly actually finds himself in an underground cavern with some kind of light beam fence wall thing going on. And it is the security perimeter, if you will, for Mole Man's fortress. So when Giant Man attempts to pass through it, which doesn't go really well, he just kind of slams into it. And my immediate thought is, you've got all of these beams of light that you know nothing about. For all Giant Man knew, they could have been like laser bars and sliced him into little ribbons. And his first inclination is to just slam himself into them. Again, for a super scientist, Hank Pym is a very impulsive, impatient kind of man. And, I mean, once again, we are just nicely feeding the characterization here. Now, of course, slamming himself into the light fence sets off alarms in Mole Man's headquarters. So Mole Man assembles his moloids and goes to confront whomever is at the gate. Unfortunately for Mole Man, he's caught slightly unprepared and Giant Man manages to grab him in his Giant Man form and is about to get the better of him when Giant Man is attacked by masses of moloids in, in various forms. They've got a battering ram, they've got guns, they've got, they've got a freaking tank. And this is actually all kind of fun because it, it reminds me a little bit of Gulliver's Travels and the Lilliputians. It's, it's Giant Man fighting these very small creatures that are just swarming over him and, and whatnot. And in general, Giant Man is in control of this fight because he just outclasses the Moloids and their weaponry that much. However, just based on sheer numbers, eventually Mole Man is able to surprise Giant Man and stun him. Now, at this point, we actually do a little bit of a world tour, and we start to see the effects of Mole Man's device and what speeding up the Earth is doing. You know, we're getting tremors in the cities. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is leaning even more. Bridges are forced to be evacuated because they're shaking. And we eventually cut to the Avengers having a meeting, obviously without Giant Man. And they come to the conclusion that Giant Man is right. That it must be Mole Man. This is another one of those leaps of logic that I've got a hard time getting over. Obviously something is wrong and the Avengers should be able to admit that Giant Man was onto something. But beyond that, to just assume it was Mole Man seems like a bit of a stretch. Currently on the surface, there is absolutely no evidence to support that claim. Only that something is wrong. Now, it could be that they are just implying Giant Man was right, something's, something's up. Because they don't actually mention Mole Man, but a significant portion of Giant Man's argument was, hey, it could be Mole Man. So, it's hard to accept that Giant Man was right without accepting that significant portion of his argument. So at this point, the Avengers decide that, yeah, we need to go check this out, but how do we get to the center of the Earth? And, you know, let's be honest, that is a good question. How are we going to get down there? Well, as it happens, Wasp remembers that we have Tony Stark's image projector and that she can project her image anywhere on Earth. So she's going to use this to investigate where Giant Man went. And, you know, it's a little thing, but I love it in the fact that Captain America has no idea what they're talking about and needs the image projector explained because the last time the image projector was used was the issue before Cap showed up in Avengers. So Cap has never seen it. And I like the fact that we are consistent enough about that too bring it up. It's little details like that that endear me to something, and they warm a little spot in my heart. So upon reaching the center of the Earth, Wasp finds the light fence that Giant Man encountered, and obviously now that Giant Man has shown up, Mole Man is paying closer attention to his frontier, sees Wasp on his monitors, and decides that his Moloids need to attack the Avengers. So they load up on a train, and they go to attack the Avengers. This panel here of this train... 
I'm going to put this out there, and it's kind of a disgusting mental image here, but between the look of the train and everything, I swear I'm looking at a cross-sectional view of a colonoscopy. That is what this looks like to me. It's unfortunate, it's kind of vile, but it is what it is. Now that Wasp has located where Giant Man went, the Avengers have to figure out how they're going to get there. And while they're kind of throwing some ideas around, Captain America remembers that Tony Stark has created a new transistorized foxhole digger for the army. And obviously, since we know that Iron Man is, in fact, Tony Stark, the Avengers are readily able to get their hands on the technology and are going to modify it such that it will dig to wherever they need it to instead of just digging a little foxhole. And the Avengers are just about to go out and get the technology when suddenly they are attacked by moloids. This is fantastic because the Moloids just show up with some decent artillery in the Avengers living room. Like they're not on the street, they're not in some kind of warehouse, they're not anywhere. They're in a living room. This is the second time the Avengers have just, third, I'm sorry, third time the Avengers have just been sitting around the house and someone or something is attacked. Back in Fantastic Four number 26, the Avengers were attacked at home by Hulk. A couple of issues ago in Avengers number 10, the Masters of Evil attacked the Avengers at home, and now Moloids are broken into the Avengers mansion. You know, for being Tony Stark's house, I would like to think that they've got some better security. And, you know, in the future they will. But right now, it seems like any Joe off the street can walk into their house. So at this point, we get you know, about a page and a half of the Avengers fighting the Moloids. Overall, the Moloids certainly aren't a total match for the Avengers, but the Moloids put up a pretty good fight, and the only one who really is never in any true danger is Thor. Thor shows up and really just starts owning the Moloids. He smashes their guns, he shoots lightning at them. Thor's really kind of wreaking havoc on the ranks of the Moloids here, while the other Avengers are holding their own, but they're needing backup from one another more often. Now, having said that, I appreciate the fact that the Avengers are indeed really working and fighting as a team. We also get a panel here where Cap takes a running dive at a couple of Moloids, and I'm becoming more and more convinced that Don Heck really loves people doing these flying horizontal leaps. Although, in, in this particular case, the subsequent dialogue doesn't quite match the action. Cap is obviously the one doing the tackling. Then the next panel, Cap says that the Moloids are lucky that only two of them tackled him. It's obviously not, not what happened here. I'm a fan of Don Heck drawing these flying tackles, which is nice because it seems like Don Heck is also a fan of them. I look forward to many, many more of them. So eventually the Avengers are able to get the upper hand of the Moloids, and the Moloids go ahead and, and make a tactical retreat. They kick up a bunch of smoke, and while they are obscured from view, they go ahead and they just bug out. At this point, the Avengers say, hey, we're pretty sure what's going on and who's doing it. We need to get this foxhole digger thing going, and we need to rescue Giant Man. Let's do this. So we get like a page and a half mini story here, kind of story within a story of Cap and Rick going off on a little adventure here. As it turns out, while all of this chaos from Moleman's speeding up the earth is going on, there are a number of mobsters who are out looting Tony Stark's factory. Rick and Cap have to contend with this, and we get a nice little just short hero and sidekick little adventure. Rick makes a pretty valiant effort here, even though he is dramatically outclassed by, by one of the thugs. 
And and I'm not a huge fan of the teenage sidekick, but, you know, Rick's really making the effort here. And again, I think it's high time that he become an official Avenger. So while the rest of the Avengers are waiting for Cap and Rick to deliver some of these parts that they need, Iron Man and Wasp are assembling the parts that they already have. And we get a little bit of dialogue from Thor. And Thor's really kind of edgy right now. And not like angry edgy. Like Thor's kind of upset. Thor was probably the one who least of all believed Giant Man when he started talking about Mole Man. And... Obviously, Giant Man turned out to be correct. And so now Thor feels partly responsible for whatever has happened to Giant Man, because instead of helping his friend, he, he mocked him. Thor says, it was I who mocked him for heeding the warning of his aunts, and now... Dot, dot, dot. So Thor's feeling pretty guilty here. Now, my advice to Thor would be not to stick his foot in his mouth in the first place like he did. And if you guys are pledged to fight as a team fight as a team. Don't just blow your teammate off like you did. But I do appreciate the fact that Thor at least feels bad for what he did and has a desire to make recompense. And even Iron Man comments on this, that he's never seen Thor look like this and Thor act like this. So that kind of says something to me of, of, this isn't just, you know, Thor putting on a show. Thor actually feels bad for what he's done. Eventually, Rick and Cap show up with the necessary parts, and the Avengers are able to assemble their makeshift foxhole digger, and they set out to go find the perfect place to make use of their device and to confront Mole Man. So at this point, we cut back to Mole Man, and right as... Mole Man is getting a report on the attack on the Avengers, which he's not too thrilled about because it didn't go very well. Someone shows up out of absolutely nowhere, and that person is the Red Ghost, who is another Fantastic Four villain. So like I mentioned, we are going to actually have three Fantastic Four references here, and this is number three. It talks about the first time the Red Ghost showed up in Fantastic Four number 13. And, I mean, he's a fairly cheesy Cold War era villain. He's the Red Ghost because he's a Soviet scientist who, when he is exposed to cosmic rays similar to the Fantastic Four, only more intense, he gets the ability to make himself unsolid which is the dumbest freaking word can't say intangible or anything else like that i've talked about how stanley uses great vocabulary in this book especially given its target audience this is the kind of stuff that's the exception when he comes up with something stupid like unsolid when there are several other real words that will properly convey the sentiment intangible immaterial they're high scrabble point words here these are sat kind of words but no we're gonna go with unsolid at any rate the red ghost shows up in fantastic four number 13 again not a particularly memorable issue except for the fact that it is the first appearance of watu the watcher and obviously as the marvel universe moves further and further forward in time the watcher becomes more and more an integral part but this is the first appearance of watu so the Red Ghost shows up and says to Mole Man, hey, you know, we should team up. Because if we do, we'll be unbeatable. And Mole Man says, eh, you might be onto something. Yeah, let's give it a shot. Why not? At this point, Mole Man is pretty well in control of the situation here. Yeah, his Moloids got beaten, but not terribly. That You know, it was a retreat as opposed to a rout. So Mole Man's feeling pretty good. A little extra help. Maybe that'll make the difference and we can turn the tables here and really finish out the plan properly. Of course, timing is everything. And just as the Red Ghost and Mole Man finish up their conversation, the Avengers show up once again on Mole Man's doorstep. Same place that Wasp's image showed up and that Giant Man showed up at earlier. And 
And it's a great moment here because Thor immediately attacks the light fence with his hammer. It's just, it's a very Thor thing to do. Thor is not dumb, but Thor, again, is not the thinker of the team. So Thor just saying, screw it, I'm going to use my hammer, really in character and a great moment that I enjoy. And it seems to work. Now, obviously, it doesn't really work. It's a trap and Mole Man has turned the fence off. So, like I mentioned, it's a trap, straight up Admiral Akbar style, and Red Ghost is waiting there with a massive ray gun that leaves a huge crater in front of the Avengers. And the only reason the Avengers are saved is because Iron Man is able to just barely deflect the blast before it hits them. Cap actually describes it as having the impact of an atomic cannon. Which, no it doesn't. That's a little bit of a hyperbole there, Cap. But obviously from looking at the crater it leaves, it's a pretty powerful weapon that none of them want to get hit by. Instead of risking another attack from the Red Ghost, Iron Man whips out a sound blaster and uses it to disable the Red Ghost. And again, we talked about how I really like Iron Man using non-lethal, kind of realistic non-lethal tech. This is a, another example of that. So I'm all for this. However, right after they take out the Red Ghost, the Avengers are confronted by a grossly oversized metal fly swatter, to which Iron Man attempts to use his whole body to stop it. Very much the same way that Executioner back in issue 10 tried to stop Paul Bunyan, only this time it's Iron Man trying to stop the fly swatter. You know, I like the fly swatter when it was used in Avengers 11 because it was a little bit more of a, an appropriate pun for Wasp. This time, it's borderline goofy, and... If it didn't look good, I'd be a little more irritated with it, but it's still kind of out of place. So while most of the Avengers are dealing with the immediate threat of Red Ghost and Mole Man, Wasp is off attempting to rescue Giant Man. And with a little bit of effort, she manages to do so. And now we have all of the Avengers in the fight. And of course, we cut back to the fight where Mole Man is launching missiles at the Avengers, which are quickly deflected by Thor using Mjolnir and a Whirlwind. And Mole Man is saved only by the quick thinking of the Red Ghost by making them both intangible. So at this point, the Avengers are pretty well taking the initiative on the fight here. Uh, they've managed to wrap up most of the Moloids. They've forced Mole Man and Red Ghost back to Mole Man's control center. And the Avengers are preparing for a, a kind of final assault here when Mole Man pulls out his ace in the hole, which is, of course, the fact that he will just ramp up his machine and destroy the earth and there's nothing they can do about it unbeknownst to mole man is that ant-man is free and running amok inside of his controls so that just as mole man is about to pull the trigger and destroy the earth his machine stops now there's a great panel here of giant man inside of mole man's device and it's done in blues and silhouette and I really, really like it. It's got a great really cinematic look to it. And, you know, it looks a little out of place with the other panels, but at the same time, it's just so good. It's hard to complain about it when you get a panel that's that cool. So with Mole Man's machine disabled, Mole Man and the Red Ghost take off. They run because they've got nothing else. At which point Thor and Iron Man destroy Mole Man's creations. And, you know, the Avengers make their way back to the surface. And we find them the next day preparing for another Avengers meeting. And our last panel is a comic book and a, a cartoon classic when you have a villain team up like this in that the villains are standing there arguing, blaming one another for the failure of their plan. And that'll bring our issue to an end. 
So I've got a number of thoughts here. First off, I think we recovered from it a little bit here, but the team is fracturing more and more. There is consistently growing strain on the team. And at this point, we've only got four more issues before the original members start leaving and beginning to find replacements. I really appreciate the fact that we're getting a build to that moment. A lot of times in Silver Age comics, and even earlier, when you get changes like this, they're very abrupt. They're very sudden. And in this case, there's a solid ramp up to that moment. To be honest, even if we don't get any more of a ramp up out of the Avengers than what we've seen so far, I feel like we have enough to justify the actions that we're going to see taken. I mean, to be honest, at this point, the only Avenger that we haven't had a truly good reason for them to leave is Thor. Iron Man has had health problems and has had the kind of the crisis of conscience. Captain America is not going to leave. Obviously, he's going to stay. But then Giant Man and Wasp have really gotten into it with some of the other Avengers, especially Thor. Other than the fights with Giant Man and Wasp, we really haven't seen a good reason for Thor to leave. But even that, I think, can be construed as, as justification for leaving. When you've got that kind of personality conflict, it's not uncommon for both parties to, to leave. As far as the villain goes here, I'm perfectly okay with Mole Man. Obviously, he's typically a Fantastic Four villain, but that's not a big deal. He was really enjoyable in this issue. But the incorporation of Red Ghost was completely pointless. Red Ghost served no purpose in furthering the story. Now, that's not to say that his entrance into the story damaged or disrupted the story, but it also didn't add anything useful to the story. I'm all for some quality villain team-ups, just like we have some quality hero team-ups, but everybody needs to bring something to the table. Throughout this issue, there are an astonishing number of leaps in logic, to the point at which the story is a little unbelievable, at least in terms of how it plays out in certain aspects, because the characters are coming to conclusions that are solely based on fitting the plot, even when there are logical fallacies involved. In a good story you can follow the characters down the rabbit hole they go. They go from A to B to C to D to E. And even if you don't agree with it, or even if you go, well, that was a stupid decision to make, you can follow the path. At several points in this issue, you don't really follow the path other than to say, well, they're making that decision because the story needs them to make that decision. They don't make the decision because it makes sense from the character point of view. It makes sense for them to make that decision to move the story forward. In really good fiction, you forget you're reading fiction. That the character's motives, even if they're flawed, make sense in bad fiction. And I'm not saying this is bad, but you know, in bad fiction, the characters make decisions because that is what is required of them by the plot. And in a couple of instances, we get examples of that. As far as the art in the book, I have really no complaints. There were a couple of little oddball things like Cap's body position early on in the in the book, but overall, the art is, is really strong. There's a couple of great panels. Throughout the book, I love the facial expressions on the Moloids, and at one point we actually get Iron Man doing a Moloid facial expression that obviously wasn't intentional, but it just it matched the facial expressions. You know, it's one of those things, you look at it and you go, you know, he was drawing that facial expression so much, he probably didn't even realize he did it on Iron Man. Again, there are some really standout panels in here. Talked about a couple of them, but looking at this, I've got no truly weak panels, and that's nice. Since Don Heck has come onto the book, we have seen a dramatic improvement in his storytelling and in the quality of his art, and it's only going to get better from here. So one last thing I want to talk about, and it's something that I have meant to talk about for a while, and that is the letters column. So what the letters column is, 
is basically any time that fans would write in to comment to the artists and things like that, a lot of times the, the letters would get printed in the back of the issue and they would have responses. So in the case of the Avengers, this actually started way back in issue number five. And in general, the letters column is kind of a cool thing because especially in the days before the internet and message boards and Twitter and Instagram and all those things, this is how readers connected with the artists and writers that they loved so much. They would send in these letters, and like I said, a lot of times they would get responses. You know, if you go back and you look at a lot of these old letter columns, you will actually see conversations continuing over months and years between the same individuals. So it's a really cool thing, and in fact, a lot of books still continue to do it. Not all of Marvel's books do. Marvel, at least recently, has been better about it than DC. DC has not done much in the way of letters columns in a long time. The ones I think are probably the best and some of the more interesting ones are image books, actually. At least most of the image books I read, like Saga, Black Science, and East of West, all have pretty active letters pages. But getting back to the Avengers, their letters column started all the way back in issue number five, which was a good eight episodes ago for us. And the reason I haven't brought it up is I wanted to save this one in particular, because every so often you will get a gem of a letter like this one from a young gentleman in Bayonne, New Jersey, going by the name of George R.R. R. Martin. That's right. Everyone's favorite character-killing fantasy writer does in fact have a letter in the letters column of Avengers number 12. Now, this is not the first time that George has actually written into Marvel and gotten a letter published. He actually got one published back in Fantastic Four number 20, a couple years before this issue in 1963. And like I mentioned, these are continuing conversations. So the fact that George gets another letter published this time in Avengers is not surprising. Now, of course, what is fun is that, you know, George's letter is probably twice the size of most every other letter in the column that month. And noting the ever-expanding size of the uh, Song of Fire and Ice book, you know, this is not at all a shock to any of us. It's also kind of funny in this issue, George talks about a couple of the issues that he liked, and specifically Fantastic Four number 32 and Avengers number 9, and he discusses a couple of Fantastic Four villains, ones he likes and dislikes, and apparently George was a big fan of the Red Ghost, and not much of a fan of Mole Man. Obviously, I point those two specifically out because of their presence in this issue, and I just kind of find it interesting that I have almost the complete and opposite reaction to George here, in that I think Red Ghost is certainly the weaker of the two villains, and Mole Man, I think, is is and can be a lot of fun. So remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're hitting up Avengers number 13 and the Castle of Count Nefaria. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.